Any information in this podcast is not intended to promote or recommend any particular product or services offered by Bell's family and associates. It does not take into account the objectives, financial situation, or needs of any investor. Before making an investment decision, investors should seek professional advice. Good morning, Lucy. Great to have Ronnie on tomorrow's news to talk about something that's incredibly timely which is in the context of the financials, starting with Silicon Valley Bank and then rolling on to Credit Suisse, we've seen increasing investor concern around the capital structure in banks. And this has shown up most particularly for bond investors in a kind of product that has been very popular with Australian investors and with Australian banks who are the issues of them called bank hybrids. And We're in an amazing position to have Ronnie as a partner because one of the reasons we think it's important to have somebody with skill looking at this market is that you can't just find out everything you need to know from reading the article in the AFR. And so we're going to dig in a little bit this morning on what is a bank hybrid, what occurred, and what opportunity or what caution might investors want to exercise during this period. Back to you, Lucy. Great. Thank you, Gavin. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to tomorrow's news. In this season of our podcast, we invite regular expert guests to share with our listeners their perspectives on the market. So we return this week with credit expert Ronnie Green joining us back on the show. Ronnie has over 15 years of experience as a global fixed income and credit manager. Before returning home to Sydney, Ronnie spent the past 12 years in Hong Kong working for investment bank JP Morgan and building a Hong Kong credit hedge fund Primus Asset Management. We love working with Ronnie. Beyond his easygoing personality is really his depth of experience and track record through some incredibly volatile times. He has seen enough credit cycles from the GFC to 2018 to COVID to help investors negotiate volatile fixed income markets. And I think this current time is no different and very much looking forward to the discussions today. Ronnie, let's just start at the top. So what is a hybrid? What is a bank hybrid? Tell us, tell us, inform us. (laughs) Firstly, thanks, Gavin. And Lucy, for the intro. It's a pleasure to be back with you guys. Look, I think bank hybrids are basically an answer to a regulatory question. The regulators want the banks to have a certain amount of capital to make them safer, et cetera, et cetera. So the bank hybrid is an answer to that question. The structure of the bank hybrid has evolved over time. And as you could see with up to the Credit Suisse event, they've become less and less kind of investor friendly or bondholder friendly and more friendly to the regulators. And a lot of this was the answer to what happened during the GFC in 2008. A lot of these bank hybrids should have gone to zero, but for whatever reason in the docks, et cetera, and for regulatory reasons, they couldn't be written down. So that led us to the current situation here with the Credit Suisse event. When you think about a bank hybrid as a bond investor, Mm. you're taking some equity risk, aren't you, Ronnie? There is an equity risk in there. How do you think about that? I think yuck. That's what I think is my first thing. <laughs> I think, you know, you say, look, they hybrid, right? So you think hybrid equity, hybrid debt, but there's no equity to this thing. There's no upside. 
if the bank does super well, if you're Silicon Valley Bank and you're kind of riding a great wave, you get to participate in none of that. So the reason I said yuck is if you really look at these documents, you are selling a lot of optionality to the issuers. So if anything goes bad, you take the hit. If anything goes good, guess what? They call you away and they issue a new one at a lower coupon. For that reason, you really need to get paid a lot to be in these instruments. I was thinking in preparation for this call, I remember after the GFC, one of the first issuers to issue one of these things was Rabobank. I remember it vividly. I remember their CFO coming to visit me in Hong Kong. Nobody would touch these things. Nobody wanted them. In fact, the fund managers couldn't even hold them because they had write-off and really terrible structures. So I remember how awful it was looking at these for the first time and that's come to fruition. And what that's saying, Gavin, what looks good at the beginning often doesn't end well. So Rabobank, I think they were AAA at the time or maybe AA. And then I remember Credit Suisse, they issued a, a cocoa just before the pandemic at 3% coupon. So from 8.375 AAA bank to what happened to Credit Suisse at 3%, it just shows you how people were falling over themselves to buy these instruments at the end. And so people bought them originally because they offered a spread to the senior credit of banks. And let's say there's a bank that you otherwise like, an Australian, Canadian, American mm -hmm. bank, whatever it is. Did you always think, boy, I better get a pretty rich spread? Or did you almost think there probably isn't any spread that's going to make sense for me here as a bond investor? No, the former. So certainly. So I think one of the maxims that I live by in the credit markets is you always want to be really happy to be subordinated and a fantastic issuer. I'm so happy. I'm happy to take that extra spread. Take Rabobank for an example, like a boring cooperative bank. And that's why they opened this market because they're just so boring. Even the Aussie banks, such great banks, such strong balance sheets, such strong franchises, so profitable. You're almost happy to take the subordination risk. But if you try to get subordinated with kind of riskier things, that's when you know things get very hairy and that's where I'm not interested. And yes, like you need to get paid. So one of the issues that I have with the local ASX listed hybrid markets, you just don't get paid for that risk. I'd rather just buy senior debt or a subordinated debt, which is a much better structure than the kind of ASX listed hybrids, because you're just not getting paid for the risk you're taking, in my view. Right. That's a really important point, because I think what we've seen in this cycle has been everywhere from bank hybrids to private credit to what everybody talks to me about, first mortgages or whatever it is, people seem to look at the yield, but they're not peaks. looking at the underlying risk in that asset. Is that sort of fair in terms of how the mindset has worked? I think it's very clear that over the past 30, 40 years, rates have been coming down and people have always been able to refinance at lower and lower interest rates, always. And that's changed now. And you can see the impact that it's had as soon as the 10-year hit 4%. Look what happened to the crypto market, Silicon Valley Bank, now Credit Suisse. I think all of those products that rely on very thin kind of carry trades, you got to be careful here. Very, very careful because the cycle's changing. Right. So I had a bunch of texts from people sort of saying, oh, Gavin, what do you think of the, the hybrid market? Of course, I don't have a view on the hybrid market. I don't know enough about it. Frankly, as a guy who used to head up the DCM group for a bank, I always kind of wondered why they were so popular, because to me, I never really got it. But it feels to me like a lot of folks 
are now potentially looking to say, hey, why don't I buy these bank hybrids? They've got a great yield. You just mentioned to me they're down 20% in price from where they were. What are the chances CA is going to go bust? That's got to be zero, right? So shouldn't I just pick up the free money and move on? I think firstly, so the um, the down 20% is for the global AT1 market, like the local hybrid markets kind of held up really, really well. I think there are lots of opportunities now. But what I would say is that in terms of a credit manager, the bank hybrid market and especially Cocos are a real, what we call a bull market trade. It's something you really want to hold in a strong, strong market. Having said that, things have dropped significantly. I do have my eye on some of the bigger issuers. You know, you look at guys like, say, HSBC with a really strong franchise, very profitable, boring balance sheet. They've de-risked, things like that. But look, am I going, you know, balls deep, so to speak, into this yeah. stuff now? No, thank you. I think there's some tactical stuff to do, but it's not something I want to be long. In my view, it's not a bull market here. So for investors now looking at an interesting new environment, you've seen the two-year now come mm-hmm. way back from its peak. Mm-hmm. Investors are probably getting a little bit concerned that all of those high yields that were available may be dissipating as the economy weakens and maybe reaching a little more for riskier credits to try to reach some sort of benchmark. How do you in your fund manage through that, right? Because you also are trying to optimize for both yield and for capital preservation. Yeah, look, I think you've got to be really, really disciplined here. And risk management is number one, two, and three for me. Yes, it's very tempting to kind of look at these higher yielding products. And it's the same thing for the local market with ASX-listed hybrids or first mortgages or development kind of lending, et cetera. Those things are all paying higher yields, but it comes with a certain level of risk. For me, the risk reward at the moment for taking on a lot of credit risk is not there at the moment. I think we probably go into a bit of a credit cycle here. Who holds all the credit? It's the bank. So they'll get impacted. So I think there'll be a better time to be more aggressive risk-taking. There's lots of opportunities. There's lots of trading opportunities. You can see it. Deutsche Bank had a bit of a wobble last week. In hindsight, that was a great trading opportunity. Mm-hmm. A couple of trades moved that curve significantly just because everything's really on a hair trigger at the moment. So there's lots of things to do. If you understand these structures, if you understand the geographies. Each country has its own regulation. Each regulator acts differently. Each domestic retail and wholesale market acts differently. You can look at things like the Nordic banks. They're so strong. We've got a really strong buyer base. Government's a great regulator. It's a great market. I've got my eye on a lot of those bonds up there. If they drop, that's the kind of market I want to be in. There are really fantastic opportunities out there if you can capture some panic in a liquidity crisis. So I think it's time to be more concerned about risk management, more cautious, beware that even when credit events occur globally and they aren't going to necessarily impact the bonds that you hold or the equities you hold, you can see a pretty massive impact in the short term. And I think your view would be some of these Nordic banks, some of the Australian banks and so forth will present great value during oh, those moments, but, but don't necessarily present great value today. Yeah, that's right. I think what's interesting is the speed at which these opportunities present themselves these days. I think yeah. you can see how quickly the Credit Suisse situation unfolded. You know, the SMB chairman, 
he said he wasn't going to buy equity one day and then the next day stocks down 30% and that weekend kind of things it unraveled so quickly. And especially with this bank capital stuff, you've got to make sure you're in the highest quality money center type banks that have really strong franchises. Really, really interesting. Something interesting, Gavin, that I just wanted to share with our listeners is you know, Credit Suisse, as an example, 16, 17 billion of these bank cocos got written down to zero. And yes, there's a lot of legal interpretation where they're allowed to do it. It's interesting that this bank has been in trouble for many years. They also had the option to turn off coupons on these bonds. And that's one of the things that investors hate about them, you know, mm. that they have discretion over the coupon. They decided to keep paying coupon. They probably could have saved themselves one, one and a half billion dollars a year in just interest payments by turning off the coupon. But there's a real dichotomy because the bank needs to show strength by paying the coupon, by repaying these bonds, et cetera. But at the same time, the regulator wants the bank to have these things as shock absorbers. And I think in my mind, having lived through the financial crisis, none of these instruments worked for the regulators. So they designed these instruments to work if there was another real credit crisis. And I think what you can see quite clearly here is that in this situation, these things got written up rate to zero because the regulator wanted these things to work and provide a shock absorber. They're designed as kind of going concern capital. And what that means is that the bank can still function while these things get written down. All the other debt stack, they're considered gone concern, like once the bank dies or is liquidated, these things get written down. The Cocos, they're kind of designed for exactly this scenario. I lived through another one, Banco Popular, which was a Spanish bank. These things happen. I think people were were aware of it. You know, and just before I finish my rant, Gavin, um, <laughs> the other thing which is interesting to me is I think, at least in my world, we were very aware that these things could rank below equity. It was really clear. And it's one of the things when I said yuck before, it's one of those things. There were a lot of instances where the bank could keep paying dividends and they could turn off the coupons for these things. Right. But the regulator wouldn't budge because they really wanted these things to be a shock absorber for the banks if they needed to preserve capital. So I think if you're institutional in this market, if you have been around in it and seen things, then you were very aware that these things could be a pretty awful investment. Yeah, it calls into question, you know, what's the likelihood of further issuance of bail-in? Does it now become very hard to issue? And might that actually be better for those that are out, those issues that are now outstanding uh, because there's a limited supply? Or yeah, it's a great, how do you think about it? It's a great question. In terms of issuance, the market's kind of done. I haven't looked at it too recently, but just very broadly, the regulators wanted banks to issue about 1.5% of their risk-weighted capital in this product to show up the balance sheets. And I think we're pretty much there. So I think what it does do is that a lot of these bonds are callable. I think it just means that a lot of the bonds don't get called effectively. Look, there's quite a few to be called in 2023. 2018 was a great year to kind of issue bonds. There are a lot of five-year calls. So look, we'll see. Like I said before, often it's a show of strength that you can call these things, even if you have to issue more expensive capital. But yeah, like if I'm a regulator here, you probably are going to kind of not encourage them to call these things uh, to issue even more expensive capital. Um, But yeah, look, I think in terms of a supply technical, it's probably a good thing. I think the market's pretty much done in terms of issuance. And yeah, these things will just get left outstanding if it's not economic for them to call them. I think a great outline. I want to leave it there because I think this is a key topic for folks and just underline a couple of points that Ronnie made. So the first point is do not 
think of these as necessarily easy money. You are taking material or potentially material risk, equity risk, which you are not rewarded for. If you like the idea, maybe you buy a small number of shares and senior credit and uh, express your view that way. But this is probably not optimal. And then I think the other thing that we would highlight is we are in a period of volatility in global financials. We were working through it. We don't know what the implications are. History would say, though, that these things tend to take a while to work out and we could see better times to pick away at the space than what we have today, particularly with your risk management hat on, which today feels extremely appropriate. Yeah, I think if people want to um, to follow this market, there's a there's an ETF that trades out of London. It's the ticker's AT1, which follows, I think, the US dollar cocoa market. And that's a great place if you want to keep up with the space. You can yeah. see it real time. Fantastic. Ronnie, always such a pleasure. Thank you thank so you. much for your insights. This yeah, thank you terrific. for having me. And uh, we'll uh, see you next time. Thanks, Ronnie. Thanks, Gavin. It's been tomorrow's news. See you next week.